0: Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Thank you so much for coming back for another week of travel news, travel tips, and some travel chats. So it seems like just yesterday that it was Thanksgiving. Now it's Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, and Happy New Year all rolled into the 2021 holiday season. So as we close 2021 out, we're looking back at some of our favorite shows of the year. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and our favorite culture report of the year. We also have some exciting travel news for you great news and things are happening on renewing your passport exciting new technology that's rolled out at the las vegas airport we talked a little bit about that last week how travel is shaping up and what to expect this holiday season we also have updated travel protocols for ghana and a look back at the travel trends of 2021 to see if we can make sense of it all. <laughs> so let's get into a little travel news. Renewing passports. You know what is fantastic about this news is that it's getting faster. And with new technology and a new initiative from the Biden administration, some great things are happening. So the standard passport renewal is currently taking up to 11 weeks. Now that's according to the State Department website. And then of course, if you want to expedite for an additional $60, you can expedite your application and it'll take up to seven weeks to process. Now passport renewals are moving a lot faster than they did last summer. Remember the last time we reported this, there was a wait time of 18 weeks to renew passports. And if you were trying to expedite, you were looking at about 10 weeks. So going from 18 weeks to 11 weeks is a whole lot faster (laughs) and better, but it's going to get even faster in the first quarter of next year. So before the pandemic, It was six to eight weeks for standard process and just two weeks for expediting services. And we're hoping to get back to that by the first quarter of next year. Now, the Biden administration has signed an executive order that's transforming federal customer experience and service delivery to rebuild trust in the government. And this promises to bring key government agencies into the digital era and to decrease the red tape for a broad array of services, including passport renewals. And so what does that mean? At USA.gov, you can find a lot of the information. It's the official site for federal government services, and it's being revamped to a centralized one-stop shop and a digital federal front door, as they are calling it. And this will improve that access to most of the sought-after government services and programs. So the executive order covers 35 high-impact service providers across 17 federal agencies. So again, going back to Passport Renewal, You'll be able to do it completely online. That's the exciting news. Of course, if you're getting a passport for the first time, you still have to go through the other route. But exciting, exciting news. Also, it means that the USPS has a new 10-year plan that's expected to mean shorter hours at the post office and unfortunately higher prices for postage, but maybe it's just the price that we were going to pay to get better service at USPS for those who are getting a passport for the first time or of a certain age who will need to go in person to do that. Let's talk about what is happening for the upcoming holiday season. Busiest days of travel will be December 23rd and January 2nd. This year, about 109 million people will be traveling for either Christmas or the new year. That's about 27.7 million more people compared to last year. And 92% of pre-pandemic levels, wow. An overwhelming majority of people, 100 million will be driving to their destination. And that's despite the cost of gas going up, $1.25 more per gallon. That's compared to the same time last year. So if you're driving, the busiest time on the road will be the afternoons of December 23, 24, and 26. The best time to travel or to hit the road or drive is Christmas Day and New Year's Day. Winterize your car. Make sure you have a blanket, a flare, first aid kit, portable cell phone charger, and download the Gas Buddy app. More than six million will be flying. That's a 184% increase compared to last year. Flying this year is also going to be more expensive. This is according to AAA. Christmas week, flights are up 5% with the average round-trip airfare about 154. So the best time to buy your airline ticket would have been last week. But remember that flying also on Christmas Day and on New Year's Day, you're going to find the best airfares. So if you're a little late in getting into the game, you may have to be more flexible with your travel dates. There's still some space available, but prices have gone up just a little bit. Let's talk about some of those travel tips. If you're going to hit the air over the holidays, definitely pack some patience and a positive attitude. You know you're going to need it. Arrive two hours early prior to your domestic. And if you're traveling internationally, three hours. Many more people are going to be at the airport and many more families are going to be traveling together. If you're traveling with gifts, you want to make sure that you do not wrap them because you'll have to unwrap them. So especially if you're carrying them on, even if you're checking them, if it sets off an alarm, they'll go in your bag. And if they need to investigate the bag, they will unwrap it. So make sure you do not wrap any gifts. And if you're carrying on your gifts, make sure it's nothing with more than three ounces, if it's creams or gels or liquids, anything of that nature. Remember the three ounce rule for TSA. Remember those baggage restrictions. The best thing to avoid all of this, if you have gifts, is to send them to the destination. Put it in care of and send it ahead. It's so much easier. So let's talk about travel restrictions. As things are constantly changing with COVID, new variants and all that jazz, travel restrictions are being updated and travel protocols are being updated. And Ghana is one of them. So Ghana, effective December 13th has now implemented that all visitors must be fully vaccinated. Again, all visitors must be fully vaccinated. And that's different than what it was before. In addition, you're going to have to have the PCR test prior to arrival, and you're going to have to complete a health document about three days before departure. And you're going to have to be subjected to another COVID test to produce a negative result upon arrival in the airport. And yeah, you're going to have to pay for it at the airport and you're not going to be able to leave the airport unless the test comes back negative. So make sure you go over to the Ghana official page to find out all of the new entry requirements if travel to Ghana is in your plans. So let's take a look back the travel trends for 2021, see how things unfolded and maybe what we can expect for 2022. The team of analysts at Forward Keys examined key findings as they reviewed 2021. And here were the eight top trends. And I think some of them are gonna continue into 2022. One is that US leisure travel really drove the recovery of travel. And this is certainly compared to the world's top destinations, the top cities before the pandemic of 2019 and throughout 2021. So there's a direct comparison there of what cities were at the top in 2019 versus what cities were at the top in 2021. And some very key findings and surprising things. Dubai, number one, stayed at the number one spot. 2019 was at the top and in 2021 was at the top, but with a larger share. That is interesting. And Cancun bumped London for the number two spot. Istanbul bumped Bangkok for the number three spot. And again, we're talking about the comparison of top destinations worldwide in 2021 versus 2019. We're not counting 2020. We all know what happened then. New York took over the number four spot from Paris. And Paris took over the fifth spot from Tokyo. And here's a very big surprise. Doha, Qatar took over the number seven spot from Istanbul. London taking over that number eight spot from Seoul, Korea. And Cairo took the number nine spot in 2021, replacing Singapore as the number one spot in 2019. And then after Cairo is Madrid, then Amsterdam, and then Punta Cana. Punta Cana wasn't even in the top 20 in 2019, but it is at the number 12 spot. The same for San Juan, Puerto Rico, and Lisbon, and Athens. So it really shows you how we shifted where we traveled to. Another big surprise, and the number two trend, is that Mexico, Central America, the Caribbean, and Africa proved to be the most resilient destinations. Overall, international air travel was just over a quarter of its pre-pandemic levels. The Asia Pacific region reached about 8%, Europe achieved about 30%, but Africa and the Middle East achieved 36% and the Americas achieved 40%. So big changes there. The number third trend is that Middle East is starting to revive travel to various Middle East destinations. And that exceeded the 60% benchmark in the second half. Right, because remember I said that Turkey climbed to a higher position on that chart, 33% in the first half versus 67% in the second half. And Egypt grew from 37% to 72%. And then the fourth, trend of 2021 was that domestic travel was very dominant, especially from the large-sized countries. And a couple of those countries were really big in traveling outside of their countries in 2019, but they were all turning inward and traveling domestic in 2021. And of course, the United States is on that list. So Brazil, China, Russia, and the United States all large size countries primarily did domestic travel. Now in Europe, the fifth major trend is that European airlines were really struggling disproportionately. And that really has a lot to do with those trends of domestic travel in large countries. So one thing affects the other. So when you're looking at airlines like Ryanair or EasyJet, which are the two largest European carriers, they've fallen from the 5th and 8th position that they held in 2019 to the 7th and 16th position in 2021. Lufthansa, British Airways, Air France, Europe's largest legacy carriers have fallen out of the top 20 list altogether. But what airlines rose to the top were Shenzhen, JetBlue, Spirit, Hanan, and Shemin Airlines. Yeah, all domestic carriers. The sixth trend of 2021 is that there was a decline in long-haul travel, where there's no surprise there. If we were all traveling domestically, that means that long-haul travel suffered a bit. And the number seven travel trend was that Doha took over Dubai as the preeminent hub airport in the Middle East. And in Europe, Amsterdam, took over from frankfurt so a lot of shifting behaviors let's see how that carries over to 2022 and then lastly the eighth travel trend for 2021 is the recovery in air travel it really showed a steady growth in 2021 the first quarter in 2021 traffic was less than 20 percent of the 2019 levels and then the fourth quarter it had climbed to over 50%. And there were little hiccups along the way, but you can see that there's a steady increase. And that will continue over in the first quarter of 2022. So there you have it. And that's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, we'll have Javon's Travel Minute and our favorite shows of 2021. Welcome back to the Traveling Culture, Roddy. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Well, we are going places in 2022. Ghana, January 21st through the 29th. Dubai, February 15th through the 22nd. We have Dubai and the Maldives, February 23rd through March 6th. And Dubai again for the Afro Zones Dubai Sound Off, March 3rd through the 9th. We also have Fiji. We've been waiting for Fiji. About Fiji is now open and we're going April 27th through May 5th. Greece. We've announced Greece September 1st through the 9th. And there's many more that will be announced very soon. So make sure you go to TravelingCulturati.com. You sign up for our mailing list and you become part of the (laughs) Culturati so that we can go places. So make sure you stay up to date on the travel schedule and the lineup.
1: And now... Javon's Travel Minute.
0: 2021 has certainly been a roller coaster filled with highs and lows, twists and turns. One thing I've thought of often is you only live once. Unless, of course, you believe in reincarnation. But even then, you have one lifetime before you move on to the next. So who knows what the future will hold? While I'm not suggesting one should live with abandon. Life should not be lived with regret. It reminds me of a couple of quotes. One, in the end, we only regret the chances we didn't take. And two, the only trip you will regret is the one you didn't take. So take the trip, but do so with an updated traveler's checklist that's designed to keep you informed and protected. It should include getting travel insurance, enrolling in STEP, protocols for the destination, signing up for alerts from the suppliers that you use, and that's just to name a few. I'm updating my traveler's checklist, and I'll make it available for you in the new year. So make sure you go to TravelingCulturati.com and sign up for alerts. This is Javon, and that was your travel minute. Well, today we're taking a look back at some of our favorite shows of 2021 that were all focused on Black history. Since my interview and visit with Dr. Joy Banner and the Whitney Plantation, Hurricane Ida happened. Unfortunately, the Whitney Plantation suffered extensive damage because of Ida. After deciding too late to evacuate ahead of the hurricane, Dr. Banner found herself riding out the Category 4 storm at the Whitney Plantation in the big house, a house her ancestors built. In another interview, Dr. Banner is quoted, there are many shocking, horrifying moments for me. When I saw the slave cabins completely flattened and demolished, it was such a heartbreaking and sinking feeling. First of all, thank you so much for being here, being in this place and having us here and being on our program today.
2: Thank you for visiting. And and the pandemic has been a tough one for us as well because we're used to having people on the site and engaging with the visitors. And so it's very nice to have everyone visiting us back in 2021 and very nice to have you here with us.
0: Yes, we're here on a friends and a family vacation, so it's even more special to be able to experience this with my parents, with my siblings, my nieces and nephews, so it's generations and so we're passing on that history. So let's talk about the Whitney Plantation, the beginnings of it and it becoming the place that it is today. What was that first discovery of the place the history.
2: Whitney Plantation, as is known now, has been operating since 1752, and it continued operating until the 1970s. So it has quite a bit of history, 100 or so years during the time of slavery, but then another 100 plus years after emancipation. That's what many people don't realize, and the plantation system went on even after emancipation. But In 1999, the site was purchased by John Cummings, who originally wanted to buy a plantation. He felt as a rich Southerner that that was kind of the thing to do, but it was the research that came along with the site that compelled him to center this place on slavery. Since 2019, he stepped down and retired, and Whitney Plantation is now controlled by a predominantly African-American board, and we are completely non-profit.
0: And right now, and again, this is pretty much a product of COVID policies, but I actually enjoyed this process. So what you're doing now Mm -hmm. is Mm self-guided, and you can either do it completely on your own and download the app, or you have devices for everyone Mm -hmm. to follow. But I would have to tell you that I kind of like being able to go through at my own Mm -hmm. pace and clicking away and going to each site, spending more time here if I want to, or less time here, but still getting the history and the narrative. I did not feel short-changed. So how was it putting that together and do we think that this is something that's going to stay?
2: <laughs> um, so yes, well what happened is the idea for this self-guided tour was before COVID and before the pandemic our numbers were over 100,000 people per year. And we were not able to welcome as many visitors because all of our guided tours were booked up. And we try to keep the tours at maximum of 30 people so that it is, you know, a productive, it is an informative experience. So we originally planned for the audio tour, had recorded, gotten prepared to open to begin in the summer of 2021. And with the pandemic, we quickly created an app and so we were able to use that for the pandemic. Now our plans, we will keep the self-guided tours, but our docents are in the process of learning more immersive conversational experiences, so that like you said, it was in many cases the visitors would want to spend more time at certain locations, especially in our memorials. They would like to read the names and have more contemplation, and it was difficult as a docent when people are having a moment and really immersed in the history, and even sometimes, a lot of times, emotional, and you're like, okay, come on, next stop. Mm-hmm. So we think that you know, having a self-guided tour is definitely something that is going to stay, but we will add experiences that will have either docents or one of our directors, our director of research, or maybe even me, that are giving um, more specialized tours.
0: You are a descendant of someone who was enslaved here. So let's talk about that and how you've been able to trace your lineage. So, yes, I'm part
2: of a descendant community. And most of the African-Americans that live in this region, they're like my ancestry extends back into the 1700s and is a mixture of everyone that settled along this river and, and includes our ancestors, of course, that were forced here. Right. And so... For so many generations, we didn't talk about slavery, so my connection and my understanding of this history is just tidbits, things that were mentioned offhand by a grandparent or a great uncle. You know, they would say, oh yeah, our great grandmother is from the Whitney. My grandmother was from Laura Plantation, so you hear you know, these tidbits of information. And then it was really, you know, the plantations and the the research that they did that allowed us to prove in the sense that, yes, indeed, our ancestors were from these different places. With plantations, they're very traumatic and very brutal places. And I know for so many of us, it's difficult to understand why they should even exist. But one of the positive things that I can say about plantations is that they are excellent repositories if they want to be. If they are upfront with the history and are truthful, there is a lot of information that these plantation sites hold. And I really would hope that the sites are doing what they can to make sure that especially African descended people are able to trace back their history and access that information.
0: The Whitney Plantation is primarily funded through visits and private donors. And prior to the pandemic, they were averaging 100,000 visitors. That has since changed. They are accepting much needed donations and they can be made online at WhitneyPlantation.org. Today's guest has curated a U.S. Civil Rights Trail in a guidebook that is complete with planning tools, personal experiences, and general tourism components. I'm excited to chat with Deborah Douglas, author of U.S. Civil Rights Trail: A Traveler's Guide to the People, Places, and Events That Made the Movement. Well, hello, Deborah, and welcome to Traveling Culturati.
3: Hello, Javon.
0: So what was your inspiration to create this guide?
3: Timing gave me the opportunity to write this book because 12 Southern travel offices designated an official civil rights trail in 2018. And so my book is the first ever book to follow the official trail in the South.
0: As I said, you know, with so many historic sites related to the civil rights movement, sometimes we stumble upon them or sometimes we know of the top two or three, and we may gravitate there. But I did not know that there was that designation that was made in 2018. So how did you stumble upon that? You know,
3: I'm just nosy. I read everything (laughs) in sight, and I worked on this book through Moon Travel. It's a longtime travel publisher. So, of course, you know, they have their ear to the ground, and they actually invited me into a process to write a proposal for the book based on my work as a journalist.
0: Now, one of the first things that I saw in the guide is the 10 unforgettable experiences. So do you mind sharing with us what they are and why they stand out for you? The number one of the 10 unforgettable
3: experiences along the US Civil Rights Trail is the National Museum of African American History and Culture. It is just so beautiful. And it is a museum dedicated to African American history, but every museum should be as beautiful as this one. Every time I go to DC and I go to DC a lot, I go to this museum. Sometimes I just drop what I'm doing it, I just go over there to eat lunch because on the bottom floor they have a cafeteria that serves themes from African American cooking styles. So say if you want to have coastal fare, you can go and have that. If you want to have regular soul food, you can go and have that. And then it's surrounded by all of these images from Black history, especially the civil rights movement, and you sit communally. And so every time I go there, everybody is just as excited to be there as I am. And so I end up having a conversation with people that I don't know, but who become friends. It's just a great
0: place to go. I almost don't want to call it a guide. I just want to call it a great reading and a nice book that just so happens to have the civil rights trail and just so happens to be a guidebook. But in thumbing through it and certainly speaking with you, that's what it sounds like. Where can we get it?
3: Of course, you can get it on Amazon and they deliver it real quick. And then bookshop.org, bookshop supports independent booksellers. That's something we definitely want to be mindful of. And you can go to Barnes &
0: Noble. Great. So again, that's Deborah Douglas, author of The U.S. Civil Rights Trail, A Traveler's Guide to the People, Places, and Events That Made the Movement. This year marks the 100th anniversary of the events that destroyed the area known as Black Wall Street and today is known as the Tulsa Race Massacre. Michelle Brown... Program Director of the Greenwood Cultural Center, is on with me for the history of Greenwood, the massacre and destruction, and how the city is honoring the 100th anniversary today. Hello, Michelle, and welcome to Traveling Culturati.
3: Hi, thank you so
4: much.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me. It truly is an honor because I think we need to keep this conversation going. I know it's the 100th anniversary, but It's uh, part of our history that we need to make sure that everybody knows about and we keep that conversation. So let's start with Greenwood, the area, and how it was during its heyday and prosperity.
4: In 1921, when Black Wall Street was in its heyday, the Greenwood District was home to more than 300 Black-owned businesses. Anything you can imagine wanting or needing in your community at that time, you could find on Black Wall Street. There were restaurants, hotels, movie theaters. There were electricians and plumbers, doctors and attorneys. Dr. A.C. Jackson, the male brothers, called him one of the most able Negro surgeons in America. And he was located in the Greenwood District. Tons of Black professionals. Their businesses lined the streets of Greenwood. It was simply an amazing time in the history of Tulsa, but also in the history of African-Americans, for them to have created this prosperous Black-owned business district in the Greenwood district in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
0: 1921, and you're saying 300 businesses in, I don't know if you know the radius of the area, but to think of 300 businesses all in one area, At one time, that's huge.
4: It is. It's very significant. And yet there were other successful Black-owned business districts across the country. Black Wall Street was definitely one of Mm. the most prosperous, but African-Americans across the country were doing something similar, creating their own economic hub and partly due, due to segregation. Blacks were making money. And they had money to spend however they were not welcome in white-owned stores and white-owned establishments so the dollar for example would circulate more than 19 times in the greenwood district before being spent outside of this community and it's a testament the fact that they were able to build this thriving black-owned business district in 1921 in the face of racism and segregation post slavery it's a testament to their strength, their courage, their determination, their resilience. It says so much about who we are as a people and where we come from.
0: 19 times it circulated before the dollar left the community. I mean, in comparison to Black communities today and Black-owned businesses and how many times the dollar stays in that community, that is a phenomenal statistic. Now, 1921, was that the most prominent year or the peak of Black Wall Street? What was the actual period in which Greenwood was prospering?
4: 1921, yes, stands out. It was significant because it was the year of the Tulsa Race Massacre. And so we always reflect on the period prior to the massacre and discuss how many businesses were here how many black homeowners and business owners there were how wealthy they were but actually the black community would rebuild following the massacre by 1925 they had rebuilt the greenwood district and they had more businesses following the massacre than they had prior to oh. and so we have photographs that show the prosperity that shows black owned businesses lining the streets that shows the return of the hotels and movie theaters and grocery stores and pharmacies and jewelry stores and on and on and on. So Greenwood actually thrived again to 25 and through the 40s and 50s.
0: What are those historic sites that are there that we can visit for Black Wall Street and that history?
4: So the Greenwood Cultural Center will be here. We are undergoing a renovation. Actually they are renovating the Black Wall Street Memorial that sits in front of our facility that lists all of those black owned businesses that we mentioned. That will be completed by the end of the month. And we house the Mabel B. Little Heritage House, which is a home that belongs to two race, per Survivor, Sam and Lucy Mackey. It was completed in 1927. And it gives you an idea of how some African Americans were able to live during that time period, which contrasts what we were taught, which was that during this time, most African Americans were poor, uneducated, six kids in a one-bedroom shack, and that simply was not the reality for many Black families in the Greenwood District. So you can tour the home and see how some African Americans actually live. There's Reconciliation Park, which provides an outdoor learning experience. Vernon A.M.E. Church, across the street from the Cultural Center, gives tours. Their edifice was here. One of the remaining structures that was here prior to the massacre, Mount Zion Baptist Church, would sit on the west side of the Cultural Center. Part of their structure was also here, remains, from 1921. And then, of course, there is a new museum being built, Greenwood Rising, which will include some interactive displays and exhibits that people We'll be able to tour beginning later this year. All opportunities to learn more about this history.
0: Is there a website for someone to plan their visit?
4: Yeah. So www.tulsa2021.org is a site that lists many of the upcoming activities and events. And it is the link to the website for Greenwood Rising. And then, of course, the Greenwood Cultural Center's website, is www.greenwoodculturalcenter.org, and we are actually, they're doing that revised website today, and we will highlight many of the activities ongoing throughout the year, activities and events that are taking place at the Greenwood Cultural Center, as well as the community events. And people are always welcome to call the Greenwood Cultural Center when they are planning their event and any assistance that we can provide in helping them locate Black-owned businesses and identify events that are taking place during their visit, we're more than happy to do so.
0: Michelle Brown, Program Director of the Greenwood Cultural Center, thank you again today for joining me.
4: Thank you so much for having us, and we look forward to your visit.
0: Ghana is a country with a rich culture beautiful landscape and many things to do and see. Joining me today is Mawuli Zebu from Land Tours. Hello, Mawuli and welcome to Traveling Culturati.
5: Hello, Jivon. It's so good to talk to you again and to all our audience.
0: I want to talk about beyond the return. Let's just start with the basics first, because part of Ghana's beauty and the landscape is the location. So let's talk about the location of Ghana.
5: Thank you again, Siobhan. So Ghana is located in the western part of Africa. So surrounded by Togo to the east, Ivory Coast to the west, and to the north is Burkina Faso. Of course, the Atlantic Ocean is to the south. You can easily find Ghana in West Africa. English-speaking country that speaks English everywhere. And of course, there are about 70 local languages that are spoken. Ghana's population is about 30 million people all over. And then the capital is Accra, Ghana. And that's where the international airport is located in Accra. You can get to Ghana from easily from the US, from New York. There's a direct flight from New York on Delta Airlines to Accra. Also, there's a direct flight from Washington, Dallas to Accra. Right now, they are running three times a week. That should go up to at least five times a week, very shortly.
0: Let's talk about Ghana's location again and its landscape because you have so much coastline, which is absolutely beautiful.
5: So Ghana has approximately 400 kilometers of coastline from Axim all the way to Qatar. Very, very, very beautiful coastline. Now, one very, very important thing along the coast, because Ghana have played a very, very important role during the colonial times, during slavery, all the way to the industrial area. So along the coast, this beautiful coast from Axima all the way to Keta, during the height of the European trade in West Africa, they built over 40 forts and castles along the coast. Now, of course, most of those forts and castles are no more are standing, but the ones that are standing, there are three of them right now that are UNESCO World Heritage Sites. They are all along the coast. So the Cape Coast Castle, then the Elmina Castle, and then the other castle in Takoradi. So the coastline very beautiful. Most of the people around there are still fishermen from all the way from Axim to Keta. That's the Ghana's coastline.
0: What about the beaches?
5: So there are some beautiful beaches around uh, especially the western part of the country and it's really good for it like surfing scuba diving and all of that especially between cape coast and the furthest part which is Axim, like all the way to buzia that's where the beach is more beautiful and let me say that the tidal waves here are a little stronger so you really need to be really good in swimming to swim along the atlantic coast here but it is beautiful the beaches are beautiful from qatar Angonaga to all the way to Adda and then from Accra to Cape Coast to Buzia to Axim. Beautiful, clean, sandy beaches along the coast.
0: So I guess with the surf, you probably are getting a lot of surfers in those
5: areas. Yes. In fact, in 2019, especially the beach of Buzia and Axim was a very popular destination for surfing. So we get a lot of that. They are still coming back slowly. Now that the international bodies has been, uh, the airlines are coming in. There, people are still coming to SEF. But in 2019, just before COVID, it was a very, very popular destination for SEF.
0: You also have some wonderful national parks and forests. And again, when you're talking about location, we're talking about beautiful landscape. That's something that really surprised me because it often isn't what's talked about when you talk about Ghana and the natural or the back to nature kind of programs that you have. Let's talk about some of those natural parks.
5: You're absolutely right. I mean, the landscape is just beautiful. The national parks uh, across the country. So one of the popular ones is the Kakum National Park. Now, this park is about 40 kilometres north of Cape Coast, which is where the Sleep Castle is. And when you get to the park, it's very doable. The incline to get to where the canopy bridge is, it's very, very gentle. It's not a steep climb to do. Everybody can do it. You don't have to be in excellent shape to do that. So the most popular attraction there is a canopy bridge, which is seven in number. So the highest peak is about 40 feet from the forest floor. You get onto there and you'll be able to see the tree tops. So it's a, what we call the bridge starts from one to seven. When you start, you can't really come back. It's a one way street. So you go and you make a loop from bridge one to seven, three to, all the way to seven. And when you're on this canopy bridge, you see the whole rainforest. It's a beautiful sight and it swings. It's part of that. An adventure is to make it swing from one side to the other very, very safe. This has been, the park has been open for 24, 25 years now. No issues there. And then, of course, there are some animals in the park. Most of them are nocturnal, so you don't see them only when it's been at night. Other national parks in the country, the biggest one is what we have is the Mole National Park, which is up north, the northern part of the country. Some of the attractions there include one of the big fives. We have the forest elephants in there. We have a lot of white hogs, a lot of, Dears, antelopes, monkeys, baboons, and there's a rhino series also in the park, not too far from the Black Volta, that's also located in the National Park. Along to the eastern part of the country, that's where we have the waterfalls, like the blue waterfalls, the highest peak in West Africa is also in Ghana, Mount Afajato, in the Volta region, there is a beautiful Taffy, Tommy Monkey Sanctuary, which is also about 20 minutes or so from there. So there's a variety of things to do if you're into adventure, into nature, the hike to go to the Wooly Falls, where you cross the same river 11 times, you know, it's just peaceful and you don't feel like you're too far away, but there's something else very close to something else in the park, in terms of the landscape. It is worth seeing and definitely worth the trip.
0: Well, Mali Wuli, thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. And we're looking forward to our return to Ghana, January 21st through the 29th. We have a lot in store. So go on over to the website TravelingCulturati.com and look at our program. I'm so excited to come back in January and looking forward to all of those experiences. Stay tuned for the culture report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. Head on over to the website, travelingculturati.com and check it out. While you're there, follow us on social media and join the travel club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report on New Year traditions and some New Year wishes from our partners from around the globe. Hi,
3: I'm Nora from Eurotour DMC Argentina. I wanted to wish you a Feliz Año Nuevo and also take this opportunity to share some of our local customs for New Year. One, we eat 12 raisins, making a wish for each raisin, and to have a sweet year. Two, we wear pink underwear to attract good luck, or red for love. Three, we dress all in white. Four, fireworks. It's a custom for both Christmas and New Year to light fireworks, as if it were the 4th of July. I'm Thais from Liberia Latin America. In Brazil, we all wear a white outfit to celebrate
4: the New Year's Eve. Feliz Ano Novo!
0: Namaste, aap nav kurnavvarsh ki Happy New Year from all of us in India. While we celebrate New Year's on 31st of December, pretty much the same way as the rest of the world. We also celebrate New Year's according to the Hindu lunar calendar. This falls mid-April
5: every year. These celebrations include beautiful dances which are performed specially for this day, setting up of the house, wearing new
0: clothes, praying and feasting. Different regions celebrate it differently but they all involve community and family.
4: Hi, this is Alex from DT Croatia in Dubrovnik. Just like to wish all of you a Happy New Year, or as we like to say, Stretna Nova Godina!
1: Buongiorno America! Sono Dino Barile dalle montagne innevate della Svizzera,
5: dalla splendida Italia, vi giungono i migliori auguri di buon anno! Ciao amici! Diumelang, Kinna Sofimu JMT Tours and Safaris South Africa. Hi, this is Sophie Muzzughi from JMT Tours and Safaris in South Africa. We wish you and your families a happy and prosperous new year. Hi, happy new year to all of you. My name is Mustafa Hassan and I am from Egypt. The new year is also celebrated in Egypt. There are many ways uh, of celebrating the new year in Egypt. Some people, they break a dish. It's a symbolic thing. The old year will take all the bad things along with this broken dish, you know, and they are hoping for a better year.
0: Once again, happy new year. This is our first show after the new year, and so we want to talk about how we're Bringing it in, because yes, we're still bringing in the new year as long as it's January. You know, Jean, one of the things I realized is that December 31st, New Year's Eve, well, I have always known it's not a federal holiday. But what I found out is that it is actually a holiday in some states like Kentucky, Michigan and Wisconsin. That's
1: nice. And you don't think about it not being a federal holiday. But you know what? A lot of people close down business around noon and go home because they're going to be out. January 1st has to be one, but frankly, I like it best when it's a Friday because Saturday and Sunday you need to recuperate.
0: Yes, and while each city in the United States brings in the new year with their own fanfare, I think when we think about the United States itself, the attention goes to
1: New York. Yeah, New York City being on the East Coast is the start of the New Year's for the United States, and it also has been the main part of celebration all around the world for a lot of people it's really interesting that people on the west coast want to celebrate it new york time
0: (laughs) that's true we did our own new year's eve celebration virtually with family members all across the united states new york here in chicago of course and then in los angeles and we all did center it around the ball drop in new york that ball is made of crystal and electric lights and is placed on top of a pole which is 77 feet or 23 meters high and at one minute before midnight on december 31st the ball is lowered slowly down the pole and it comes to rest at the bottom of the pole at exactly midnight and the event is shown of course on television this this year we had the two Andes. I think last year we had the two Andes as well. But this event has been held every year since 1907, except during World War Two. So let's talk about some of our traditions, Jean. I think black eyed peas.
1: Yeah, black eyed peas is one that a lot of people know and for a great extent a lot of people thought it was just a African American one, but it's really done in a lot of places around the world. There's a lot of reasons why the association with good luck on New Year's Day is there. But having black eyed peas on New Year's Day is something that a lot of people have built into their system. One of the theories anchors around the tradition of the Civil War when Union soldiers raided Confederate Army food supplies and they only left behind the black eyed peas. And it's really interesting because in the African-American community, the freed slaves and all blacks, that's what we had. We only had the black eyed peas and some of those other items, the ham and the greens.
0: And the January 1863 Emancipation Proclamation was celebrated with dishes made of black-eyed peas, one of the few foods, as you mentioned, that were available. But there are some other theories that date back based on the reputation of luck, and it can be traced back to ancient Egypt, suggesting that eating the pea, a vegetable readily available to even the poorest was a way to show humility to the gods and then there's some others that say that black eye is kind of resembles a coin. Eye of horse or yeah, a Yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> but yes our household we always make sure that we have a pot of black eyed peas and the recipes vary, and if you have a good southern black-eyed pea recipe, you're in good company. However, I have to tell you, Jean, I came across a recipe from Marcus Samuelson that incorporates the spice. And then also coconut milk. Now, I cook my red beans with coconut milk, and I had never thought about cooking my black-eyed peas with coconut milk. So I definitely want to try that, and I'm going to extend our black-eyed peas and (laughs) uh, make another batch. I think we can go into February, maybe.
1: (laughs) We we need all the luck we can get, so we're going to have different recipes every week of black-eyed peas going forward.
0: Yes, ham is another holiday centerpiece and tradition, and... So pork is a New Year's tradition that first has to do with the way pigs, as opposed to other animals, behave. So according to some theorists, while chickens and turkeys scratch backward, a pig buries his snout into the ground and moves forward forward, in the same direction you want to head in the New Year. Another reason is logistics. Pigs are traditionally slaughtered in late fall, which made pork an ideal choice to set aside for celebrating the new year. And then it has some roots in some immigrants as well, as far as oh, Germany Oh, in Europe, and I mean, Eastern eating it with Europe.
1: cabbage and other things like that. But pork is seen as an item even in the Far East, in Asian cultures, as a item that is eaten with the meal. So it's a good one too.
0: If you're cooking black eyed peas, what naturally goes hand in hand, especially in African-American households, greens. Now greens have come a long, long way. I know back in the day it was primarily collard greens. And then of course kale is another popular favorite. And there's so many different varieties of kale now, but some of the traditional greens one, collard, mm-hmm, yes. two, kale, mm-hmm. the curly leaf kale, not these new hybrid kales, but the curly leaf kale that's really kind of thick. And that's why we always had to cook it a long time along with collard leaves. Those leaves were often very, very thick and tough, but also turnip.
1: And greens are green, and that symbolizes money. So you want wealth, health, and other things coming into New Year. And we learned on our early trips to Africa that the green tradition goes back in Africa thousands of years and it does in Europe where people were hanging greens on the door to get rid of evil spirits.
0: Yes, again those southern roots Mm -hmm. that are closely related to African-American history and some of the traditions that African-Americans brought with them from Africa. And then there's the king cake. Now we may think about the king cake for Mardi Gras and yes that is true but it starts off the new year with the king cake, especially Louisianians. That's that ring cake that has a plastic baby hidden inside. And the lucky person who finds the trinket is king or queen for the day. And then that is carried through to Fat Tuesday. Now, they typically start eating it on January 6th, known as Twelfth Night or Epiphany, the Catholic celebration of Magi's yeah, the, gifts The wise
1: men The twelve wise men To the baby magi Jesus Magi Gifts baby Jesus And then twelve days later Which falls on January 6th Enjoying this cake And in different cultures It may have the baby Or it may have a coin Or it may have some other item That's just again Looking at good luck
0: now, certainly here in the United States, we have the staples, which are black eye peas and greens, and that can be found in any household. But then there are some regional favorites and traditions, like in your family, your dad always did crab cakes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, crab cakes. If you're in the East Coast, especially in the Chesapeake region, Maryland, Virginia, to Delmarva, you're basically looking at crab cakes as being a tradition to kick off the new year. And I'm not going to say the crab has any special meaning in there. (laughs) But the whole point is, you would have crab cakes with our tradition.
0: It's just a regional difference and fair. And your Aunt Jewel in New York, pig feet. Now, pig feet, it's not ham, but it is pork.
1: Yeah, and it's part of the tradition, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: so pig feet or pig knuckles. And what she says is that the recipe she got from her mother and her mother got the recipe from her mother but what she has done is uh, jazzed it up Frenchified <laughs> it as she calls it with some cognac and Grand Marnier
1: Frenchified it yes yeah, yeah. I think
0: I'd have to try that she used to be part of a cooking club mm-hmm. and she got that from our
1: my great grandmother Ursa Ricks but no she changed the direction of it New Yorkified it as we might say <laughs> in there with the pig's feet I still remember seeing pickled pigs feet as a child and that was a big thing among my southern family
0: well thank you so much for joining me today and i want to wish everyone a very merry christmas a happy kwanzaa happy hanukkah and a very happy holiday season well that's it for the show today wherever you go go with all your heart confucius